Wave Radio. You are listening to Texas History Lessons, a slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone everywhere. Visit TexasHistoryLessons.com. Welcome to Texas History Lessons. I'm Michael, and in this episode of This Month in Texas History, we're going to forego the normal preliminaries, despite how fun they are, and get right into it. Now, June is filled with great moments in Texas history. For example, on June 24, 1699, the mother of Texas missions, the San Juan Bautista Mission, was founded on the Rio de Sabinas, about 25 miles north of Lampasos, Nuevo Leon, Mexico. It served as a gateway for expeditions to the Texas interior for years to come. But rather than look close at it today, we're going to move on because we'll soon be hearing about it in the Spanish-Texas lessons. Likewise, we will be learning about the important date of June 21st, 1779, the day that Spain declared war on Great Britain and sided with the rebelling British colonies on the east coast of North America. Part of this support involved thousands of cattle being trailed to support Bernardo de Galvez's troops' campaign against the British on the Gulf Coast and along the Mississippi River. But we, like I said, will be getting a close look at it in the lessons on Spanish Texas. Moses Austin, the father of the father of Texas, Stephen F. Austin, died on June 10th, 1821, leaving his son with the task of bringing Americans to Texas to become loyal Mexican citizens. We know how that played out. Moses led an interesting life, and we are going to learn about it as well in the future. Do any of you remember Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavericks used to play? Aside from the Mavericks, I watched a lot of great concerts there, including Ozzy Osbourne, Queensryche, Suicidal Tendencies, and Corn. Its name comes from a French colony established in what is now Central Dallas County in the present city limits of Dallas on June 16, 1855. June 27, 1874 marks the date of the Second Battle of Adobe Walls, where about 700 Plains Indians, mostly Cheyenne, Comanches, and Kiowas, attacked a buffalo hunter's camp about a mile from the ruins known as Adobe Walls in what is now Hutchinson County. If you want to learn about the First Battle of Adobe Walls, go check out Josh's take on it in his excellent and colorfully worded Wild West Extravaganza podcast. The second battle involves a famous shot of Billy Dixon. The story goes that Dixon shot an attacking warrior off of his horse from a distance of seven-eighths of a mile. The battle is more importantly remembered as the fight that resulted in the Red River War of 1874-1875, the war that led the Southern Plains tribes and the Comanches to finally settling down into Indian Territory. June 9th, 1894 was the day that a water well contractor drilling for water near Corsicana discovered the Corsicana oil field, the first significant Texas oil and gas field. Robert E. Howard, the Texan author of many stories, including the adventures of the sword and sorcery legend Conan the Sumerian, or as you probably heard of him, more widely called, Conan the Barbarian, killed himself in his car outside the house where he lived with his parents on June 11th. 1936. His mother had just died. 
Not each of these events would normally be served with a much closer look in an episode of This Month in Texas History. And quite honestly, it's killing me not to give them a lot more attention, especially the one on Howard and the fight at Adobe Walls. But June is very important for something that happened in 1865, and then there is something that happened later in 1921 that has a connection to it. Now, remember back in the first episode when I mentioned the first black female pilot? Well, in this episode, I fulfilled the promise of telling the story of the amazing Bessie Coleman. All of these events that I've talked about will be covered in context in future lessons. But for the matter of saving time, and I know I'm probably not going to even do the two that I'm highlighting the justice I would like to, let's just dive in to the first significant event that happened in Texas on June 19th, 1865, and it's still celebrated across the United States every year. But first, I need to pause and thank Age of Radio for hosting Texas History Lessons. I'm not a fan of ads, and honestly, I use them because they help me release the show without having to use money that would be better off providing for the needs of my family. So for the time being, I need to take this break and thank Age of Radio. Now, historian Annette Gordon-Reed released a new book titled On Juneteenth in June of 2021. In it, she argues that slavery was central to the founding of Texas, she argues that Stephen F. Austin recognized that the rich soil and the ability to ship cotton from the Gulf Coast would attract cotton far- farmers from the East, people who he knew wouldn't want to work the land themselves. This meant that slavery would be in Texas to fulfill his and others' dreams, even if Mexico outlawed the evil practice. Austin's uneasy alliance with anti-slavery Mexico faltered, as we know, and led to the Texas Revolution. And after years of struggle, the circumstances in the United States were finally right, and Texas became a state, only to secede as a member of the Confederate States of America 15 years later. And it then sent soldiers to fight in the Civil War. And while you can list many reasons for the Civil War, central to them is the issue of slavery. So as many as 750,000 soldiers, North and South, died during the war, among these were some of the more than 70,000 Texans that fought for the Confederacy and the more than 2,000 that fought for the Union. When the war came to an end, a leader named Gordon Granger was sent to Texas to reestablish order in the state. Now it's said that Union General Gordon Granger was a blunt man. He served with distinction during the Civil War, especially at the Battle of Chickamauga and the siege at Knoxville, but superiors like General Ulysses S. Grant did not appreciate Granger's blunt way of stating his opinion, and it kept him from getting more esteemed commands in the East. He was sent to the Gulf where he provided land support to Admiral David Farragut, and he commanded the land forces that captured Fort Gaines and Morgan during the Battle of Mobile Bay. And then he commanded the forces when the city of Mobile, Alabama, fell to the Union. Granger was given command of the Texas District and arrived with 2,000 federal troops at Gallatin Island off the coast of Texas in June of 1865. Before we get into that, we need to mention that Gallatin has 
ties to slavery that run pretty deep. Alamo legend Jim Bowie and his more capable brother Rezin used to buy slaves illegally from another set of brothers where the city of Galveston now sits, the infamous pirates Jean Lafitte and his brother Pierre, who had founded Campeche there and where they made a fortune dealing stolen and smuggled goods and in the sale of Africans for slavery in the United States, which was illegal. The Bowies then moved the enslaved people through Texas to Louisiana, where they had a scam set up to legitimize their sale. Jim Bowie also had many other colorful illegal schemes to make money, but we'll get to those in time. Needless to say, I'm sorry, Jim Bowie is not one of my Texas heroes. Now, President Abraham Lincoln had proclaimed the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863. What did this do? It changed the legal status of more than 3.5 million enslaved human beings in the Confederate States from enslaved to free under federal law. If a person that was enslaved escaped the control of the Confederacy by running away across Union lines or as the Union troops advanced, he or she was legally free. And this wasn't a secret to white Texans. News came in through the port of Galveston, just like other news came from everywhere. But it wasn't passed around as knowledge to the 250,000 or more people held in bondage in the state of Texas. So Granger arrives. He established the Union Army headquarters at the Osterman building that stood at the corner of Strand and 22nd Street in Galveston. And on June 19th, 1865, he read General Order Number 3. It was a Monday. And then the soldiers marched through Galveston and read it at the 1861 Custom House and Courthouse. Then they moved to the Black Church on Broadway, now named the Reed Chapel AME Church, and read the order. Here are the words of General Order Number 3. The people of Texas are informed that, in accordance with a proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. Aside from the somewhat pretty, not just pretty racist tone to the final couple of sentences... The importance of General Order Number 3 is that all slaves were now free, legally free, in the United States. Word spread from this day on to let over 250,000 enslaved Texans know that they had been set loose from bondage. Now, in 1865, the freed slaves, they let out cries of joy and celebration, but they had to be cautious in their celebration out of fear of white violence against them. And the first real Juneteenth celebrations began in Texas on, in 1866. Now, Randolph B. Campbell wrote well in his book, An Empire for Slavery, 
about the aftermath of the declaration. It took time, of course, for Granger's order to become known across the state. Some masters called their slaves together and read the Proclamation of Freedom, but others were slow to obey it. Josie Brown of Woodville, for example, said that slaves on her place worked a whole year before an official made the white folks turn us loose. Isabella Boyd remembered, when we all gets free, they's a long time letting us know. Former slaves from other plantations finally convinced them that forced labor had to end. Steve Robertson's mother found out about freedom only by the grapevine, and even she and her children had to run away in order to gain it. Now, given how big Texas was and is, the pretty poor communication system, and the bitter hatred that the slave owners had for Yankees, the experience of Brown, Boyd, and Robertson were not uncommon. But that aside, the majority of the state's enslaved people obtained their freedom by the end of 1865. Now, most slaves greeted the end of bondage with overwhelming joy that accompanies receiving the answer to a lifelong prayer, Campbell writes. As Felix Haywood remembered it, everyone was singing. We were all walking on golden clouds. Hallelujah. According to Luli, a fellow slave on her place called out, Free, free, my Lord, oh, free, free, my Lord, free, 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 oh, my Lord. In many cases, however, such expressions of joy were not permitted by whites. Campbell relates a celebration in Huntsville, where a sword-wielding man on horseback cut a black woman almost in half in the street for celebrating knowledge of being free. According to another person named Dave Bird, some people in Crockett, Texas, whipped 100 people celebrating news of freedom. When a man named John Mosley learned about being free from his master, the slave jumped into the air to express his delight. And the master pulled a pistol and fired several shots between his legs. No more, he said, or I will shoot you between the eyes. So freedom came. But this is an example of the long, hard road freed men and women were going to have in Texas. Because even though they had freedom, it was going to take a long time to actually be treated as free and equal. The initial threat of violence did not stop Juneteenth from being celebrated, however. Like I said, Juneteenth has been celebrated in Texas since 1866, and it spread with time to other states. Now, aside from being called Juneteenth, it's also been called Freedom Day and Emancipation Day. It is the oldest known celebration commemorating the end of slavery in the United States. Nearly every state, I think it's 48 now, in the District of Columbia recognize it as an official state holiday or observance. I think the ones that don't are Hawaii, and I think it's other South Dakota, but I recently read that the Hawaii legislature just passed 
something that's going to recognize it as waiting signature from the governor or something like that. So we're getting there. In the years after the war, African Americans gathered to celebrate with parades, prayer, picnics, family reunions, songs, and readings of the proclamation. Some communities even set aside land known as emancipation parks to observe the celebration. Now, during the middle years of the 20th century, the public celebrations slowed down, died down, and became more private affairs, private commemorations of the event. But gradually, during the Civil Rights era, the public celebrations began to come back, and in 1979, the state of Texas recognized Juneteenth as a state holiday and promoted it as a state holiday the first time in 1980. Galveston's Juneteenth Committee in the city of Galveston erected a statue of the reading of the order on the grounds of Ashton Villa Mansion in 2006. I didn't mention, we're not sure if it happened or not, but it's also suggested that Ashton Villa was another side of where the order was read. The one that I was most curious about when I visited Galveston a while back was the Osterman Building on Strand and 22nd. I went looking for it thinking there's got to be a great something there commemorating this announcement. I wanted to find the spot where Granger had stood on the porch of the Osterman building, and now the building itself is gone. I did find a historical marker there commemorating the site, and it appears that what was the Osterman building site is now a parking lot. I'd hope to see something a little bit more meaningful or respectful. There are some nice bushes near the Moore Memorial and a couple of benches, so it's a nice spot, but it's just not what I personally expected for something of such a significant occurrence. Other places in Galveston, though, do, like I said, they have statues commemorating the event. Now, Juneteenth remains a celebration of freedom and the strength and perseverance and triumph of the human spirit. And keep this all in mind when Juneteenth rolls around this year and every year, how significant an event it was to finally be told something that for two and a half years had already been known to a lot of people elsewhere. But the true significance is, is that it happened and people were finally free. Now, the second event that I'm going to cover is another example of strength, perseverance, and triumph of the human spirit. It was about a young woman from Texas whose family definitely benefited from Granger's Juneteenth Declaration. In the very first episode, like I mentioned... I suggested and hinted that I was going to, we were going to be learning about the world's first black licensed pilot, Bessie Coleman of Atlanta, Texas. That's where she was born. So let's take a look at her. Bessie was born in Atlanta, Texas on January 26, 1892. She was the 12th of 13 children. She lived with her sharecropping family near Waxahachie, which is south of Dallas on I-35. Her father left in 1900 to return to Indian Territory. Now, this is something I should point out. Not only was she black and the first pilot 
licensed pilot. She also was part Native American. So she was also the first Native American pilot. Now, with her father gone, she, with her brothers and sisters, she picked cotton and she helped her mother with the washing and ironing that the mother took in to provide for the family. She worked and she saved and she eventually had money to try to attend uh, what's now Langston University in Langston, Oklahoma, but she only was able to stay for one semester because she couldn't keep up with the financial uh, payments that she had to. So she moved to Chicago and to live with a brother who had relocated there. And she learned to be a manicurist. And she also ran a chili parlor at one time that was supposed to be quite successful. But it was during World War One that she started hearing stories about the exploits of the World War I aviators overseas. And she began dreaming of flying herself. A nice dream. And it would have stayed a dream had she not persevered. As a couple of sources explain, her brothers were, were coming back from the military in World War I, and they came home with stories about their time in France and one of her brothers, John, teased her because French women were allowed to learn how to fly airplanes, and Bessie could not. She decided she was going to become a pilot. She tried to get into American fly schools, but because she was a woman and because of her race, she could not get admittance. But she didn't give up. Now, with the aid of a gentleman named Robert S. Abbott, he was the editor of Chicago Weekly Defender and one of the few wealthy millionaire uh, black Americans in the United States at that time. He assisted her in contacting schools abroad. She started taking French lessons because her application would have to be in French. So she did night classes and learned French. And in 1920, she traveled overseas to an aviation school in La Cratois, France. I probably butchered that. My Texas mouth butchers most phrases. I apologize. And she studied for 10 months. And on June 15th, 1921, four days before people back home would start celebrating Juneteenth, and in the same year that Amelia Earhart started taking lessons, she was issued an international pilot's license by the Federation Aerotechnique Internationale. She was the first black person in the world to become a licensed pilot. And, according to the sources, she's also first person of Native American descent as well. Bessie came back home and she thrilled crowds with demonstrations of her sensational flying abilities. They would have air shows and she would do daredevil feats in the shows and she ended up getting the nickname of Brave Bessie. She was an inspiration to others and she encouraged others to try to learn to fly. Her dream was to set up a black aviation school. And if the air show refused to let black people attend and be in the audience to watch 
the aviators do their flying and stunts, she refused to participate. And she was quite a draw because she was really good at it. The sad part of this story is that she didn't live long enough to see her dreams come true. She died in 1926 when there was a really bad accident when she was taking a test flight for a Florida air show. But brave Bessie Coleman left a powerful, inspirational legacy for others. And in 1921, there was a flying school for African-Americans founded in Coleman's honor in Los Angeles, California. I'm happy to be sharing the memory of Bessie Coleman, an amazing pioneer in aviation and a pioneer in civil rights who went from living as a sharecropper in Texas to flying and wowing people with her abilities. And the reason I cut out a lot of the earlier stuff is because I know I didn't do it justice to either of the topics, but I wanted to devote more time to them because they're important. And if you, you can find many interesting articles and books written about her, her life is filled with a lot more information that's just Amazing. She is an inspiration. Today, you can find roads named for her at airports in Chicago, Oakland, California, Frankfurt, Germany, and Atlanta, Texas, the town she was born. So that's going to wrap it up for Texas History Lessons. And I appreciate everybody listening. I'd like to thank Jay, Ron, Kay, Tim, and Brenda for their support through Patreon. It means a lot to me. And I want to thank every one of you for listening. Share it with a friend on social media. Just share the link of the show. Download it. Send it to somebody. If you enjoy it enough to send it. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to doing more. And this week we're going to end the show with another great song by Texas History Lesson Spotlight artist. Mando Salas. And his band Rosemont. This song is Living This Way. Go check him out on Spotify or wherever you listen to music. Visit his website to look for upcoming tour dates. He's in the works right now on getting an album, his second album, ready for release. He is a talented, talented musician and singer-songwriter whose stories that in his songs and the way he sings makes him somebody that definitely should be heard and shared to a wider audience and he will get there I have every faith in his and his ability because he's that good so thanks for listening until next time be kind take care of yourselves and each other adios summer's hot as ever it ain't the weather
Now I 